Welcome to the Thrive Leadership Podcast, where we discuss building and leading a thriving culture. Host Rob Sagan pulls from his network of hundreds of bona fide leaders to sit down and talk to the best of the bunch, breaking down the keys to their success and the ways in which a focus on culture has let themselves and their organizations reach their highest potential. From stories of organizations who turn their strategy around to create a radically positive shift in atmosphere, to deep changes for companies focused on their bottom line, these interviews shed light on the true stories that emerge from leaders that are actively engaged in their organization's ongoing evolution and values. One of those stories is explored in this episode, starting with Rob introducing today's guest. So good afternoon, Joni. Joni Michelle. Um, so excited to have you here today. I can't tell you. It's because you represent a voice that a lot of people have been asking about as the leader of an HR function in Canada and with your story, which we want to get into here in a minute. Um, you know, you've been through lots of interesting turns and twists, <laughs> and then you finally got to do what a lot of people envy, which is to basically create a company from scratch with your commercial leaders, your partners. So we want to explore that a little bit today on today's episode on culture. So Joni Michelle, Director of Culture and People. If I got the People title. and Culture. People and Culture. Let's get it in the right order. <laughs> Okay, so we, uh, we're we going to have some fun today, All but right. I really want to maybe start with, before you got to Otsuka, Canada as the HR leader, as the partner there, what, what got, what was the, what's Joni's story before that? Like, what happened bef- before you arrived at Otsuka? A lot of twists and turns, actually. Yeah. Um, I would say that uh, culture has always been something that's been super important to me as a person who leads HR, and I think it should be important in all companies because it's such an important part of the fabric. Um, but I've worked for a lot of companies that thought they had a great culture, and when you really looked into it, you realized it actually wasn't the case. So a lot of the leaders were actually disconnected from the people, even though they thought they had a great company, a great product. They thought that what they were doing was great. They were really disconnected from reality. And in some of those companies, I saw incredibly high turnover rates. Yeah. And, so. and you guys are like the canary in the coal mine in HR because you see things <laughs> happening before the rest of the organization does oftentimes, right? You do, and they don't always believe you. Yeah. So you're hearing it in things like exit interviews, right? And you make you see it's harder to recruit sometimes because the word gets out. Exactly. What else are some of the early indicators that, uh, you know, if you think back to some of those experiences, how did you know before they knew? I think a lot of what you said is true, right? We sort of have an inside scoop a lot of the time. People will come and talk to you, and you try to talk to um, the leaders of the company to explain to them what's going on. But a lot of times, too, the employees don't want you to use their names, so then they don't necessarily always believe you. Um, Or if they do believe you, maybe they're not willing to take the necessary corrective measures uh, to look into things. So... You know, that can be very difficult. Often HR is alone in their corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm happy to say that where I work now, that's not the case. And this is probably the first time in my life where I've worked in a company that was so focused on their culture. Yeah, and so, and that's the part we want to make sure we get a little bit of time on. But I do want you to think about how you could share your experience too with colleagues who are in the situation you just described. And, And you know that most of your colleagues are that they're in less than ideal cultural environments. Some are having to try to help their organizations get out of toxic environments. But even if they're in the middle of the bell curve, which most are by definition, what advice would you have for your colleagues in the HR function who have a fairly strong intuition that, and a lot of evidence to back up the fact that the culture is not optimized, in fact, it may be compromised. What can they do to get the attention of their 
colleagues on the commercial side or on the operational side of the business. What what tricks have you seen work for you? I guess the first thing I would do is try to speak to the members of the leadership team or the powers that be to explain to them the situation. Maybe try to convince them to either do an engagement survey or measure their culture by doing a culture survey because they may think they have one culture and when they go to measure either their culture or their engagement, which would both be indicators, they may see that there's a big disconnect between where they think they are and where they actually are. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of when I was in a leadership role, uh, I was getting into a bit of a debate with my HR partner about (laughs) something he saw that I needed to get better at. And until I got my 360 and there it was in black and white, Exactly. uh, I was comfortable debating it with him. And then suddenly I was now debating with the data. So I remember we had a good laugh over that. Actually, just to add to that, Another thing that I would recommend is if they do measure the culture or they measure the engagement and they get the results back, if they don't do anything with it, then the employees are going to be even further disengaged because essentially if you're going to go to the extent of actually measuring your culture or your engagement and you don't get back to your employees to tell them what you're going to do with it, then you might as well not have done it. In fact, it sometimes can make it worse, right? Exactly. Because they think, well, what happened? You asked me, I told you, and I don't see any activity. Right. Right. And even if you can't do what they would hope that you would do, at least communicate that to them. Let them know we can do X, Y, and Z, but we can't do A, B, and C. Right. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, the excitement you felt and what what was that the early days like? What were the early days like for you at Otsuka? And how long how long ago was that? And, you know, what was it like in the first sort of 90 days for you? Oh, my goodness. Um, so I've been at Otsuka almost actually just over five years. And when I started with the company, um, it was really a breath of fresh air for me. I mean, I, I can't say enough good things about it. When I joined, it was the first time that I had entered a company where on my first day, I was, you know, surrounded by so many people who just wanted to collaborate with me and help me. And I had people coming to my door saying, whatever you need, you know, I'm here if you have any questions. And that stood out for me because I've started at other jobs where they kind of give you your desk and your computer and then that's it. A lot of companies do that. Um, So... It was an, I could feel the collaboration, I guess is what I'm trying to say, from day one. And when I joined, they had just done this huge exercise on establishing their values. So Otsuka is a a Japanese company, and they have their own set of values. And before I arrived, they had decided already to go, to undergo an exercise where they Canadianize the values. So this... uh the global Otsuka company out of Japan yes. had, from the very beginning, decided that values and culture were, were important. If I remember that, yes. now that you described it, I do recall that now. And I seem to recall that you and your general manager, Allison, had participated in that, that she had been very active in that, helping to kind of define, I think it was eight core values, if I remember correctly. Yes. Okay. Now you had to Canadianize them. Now I want to stop right there because a lot of your colleagues in Canada, and because most of our life science industry, for instance, that that I work in, yeah, the vast majority of, of organizations in Canada are subsidiaries. We're not head office. Right. So a lot of HR leaders are challenged with that notion. Well, we have this global culture, and it's in some cases it can be a very strong opinion. And yes. a lot of Japanese companies have very strong feelings about that global culture. How did you and Allison work to make sure that you could Canadianize it? You know, so it didn't just copy and paste those eight core values, nor did you start from scratch. 
Correct. So you found a nice way to create some balance there. I want you to kind of maybe describe that because I get that question quite often. So I can't take the credit because that was done before I arrived. Okay. So the the Canadian values were already done when I got there. But um, I think we're in a fortunate position where Canada um, is well seen. And even though it was beginning in those days, I think the Japanese entity understood that, yes, these are our core values, but we also need to adapt them to our reality. And so I think that's one of um, the positive things about it, because, you know, you can't just say, let's say I've worked in a lot of international companies where... You know, you get direction from up above, wherever corporate might be. It could be the U.S., it could be in Europe. And they think that you're just going to copy-paste everything in your local area. But you can't do that. And if you do do that, then there's going to be a huge disconnect somewhere. Sure, sure. Do you do you recall then it was probably just after or just before you joined that that effort had been completed? Correct. yes. Do you remember the stories that were being told about how that was done? Did 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 Allison? I know she didn't copy and paste it. That's that I know for sure. But how did she Canadianize it? So um, from what I remember, and I don't want to tell tales out of school, but they actually got. Um, I don't know if it was the whole company at the time or a subgroup of the company at the time, but definitely. Uh, people from across the organization, and it might very well have been everybody. I can't be sure. Well, you weren't that big at the time, right? Correct. So it would have made sense. Excuse me. So um, I know that they all got in a room and they went through a major exercise to determine what the values would be. So everybody was in agreement on them. And one of the things I do want to reinforce to anybody who, you know, is going to establish values, we have never changed our core values. They have been the same from day one, and they are ingrained in everything we do, every decision we make. It's not, I've worked in companies where in, you know, one year, there's these values, and the posters go up. And then the following year, oh my gosh, there's a new set of values. That just defocuses people. Yeah. I think that your core values, I'm not saying they can't be adapted or changed over time, but they should be a solid foundation. They should be your North Star, your yeah. guiding light. I mean, they shouldn't be changing all the time. Right, agreed. And I like the way that, from what the story you're telling me here today and what I've heard um, you know, around your office, is that you guys did a really good job of marrying what was right for the business globally, so the so the imprint you were getting from, from Japan, with what you thought was right for your business yes. here. It was a balancing act and ended up with a set of core values that, as you say, isn't just a slogan on a wall, but... You've embedded them into the company. We so, live them. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that <laughs> because that's where I see opportunity in in my travels is in two areas. One is not just copying, pasting what's happening somewhere else and just making that, okay, well, that's what we're going to do here in Canada. And two, once even clients have established their own core values, how do you make sure they become embedded and lived? And that's the part I really want to explore because of all of our clients, I would say you guys have done the most masterful job <laughs> of holding people accountable to those core values and making it really the Otsuka Canada way. And it's not just a slogan. You know, you you live and breathe it. We see it when Dr. Jameson and I come to visit with you. We feel it when we come through the front door. I've sent people to interview with you, as mm-hmm. you know. You know, I've now my son's cohorts are coming through and <laughs> looking for places to right. work. And <laughs> when they say, you know, I want to be in life science, we're a great, great, great place to work. Or if I hear from people in the industry, they're looking for a a good place, you know, I've sent you a few people and they give me the same feedback. Like it's palpable. 
the way that they're greeted at the front door, it's just like you say, your day one when you came to the office. It feels like a family. Yes. And, and it's not just a slogan. I, you know, it's really quite exceptional. But how did you lead it? Once you, once you, you and Allison and the team had defined those core values, how did you make sure that they're actually happening? And that was just about the time you joined. So I'm taking you back kind of those five years. Yes. But you guys had the best cultural scores we've ever seen in healthcare in the world. Thank you. You know, when we did your cultural audit, which was kind of cool. Um, but but people want to know how you did that. So how right. did you do it? Um, I don't know if there's like, I can't give you a recipe. I wish I could if it was sure. that easy. But what are the top two or three things that yeah. you think are really important? So every year we have an all-company meeting. Okay, and every year there's a big opening. And during that opening, we talk about our goals for the following year um, and, you know, our performance for the previous year. And during that opening, I would say that our values are always repeated. Okay, so people see them, you know, every year at the beginning of the year, we kind of reset so that we can move forward and accomplish our goals for the following year. Yeah, they're front and center in they're those discussions. They're front and center. Yeah. When we hire, we look for people who have the same values. Now, I had someone say to me once, when you hire people that are all the same, no, 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 not all the same, just the same foundational values. Right. We want people who think differently, who are gonna push the envelope, who are gonna challenge us to do things differently. But we want to make sure that at the core, the values that they hold are the same ones that we find important. So as an example, customer first is one of our values. When we're interviewing people, we want to hear that through the interview. Sure. If we don't see that, we will not, we won't do it. So we hire for fit and fit means an alignment with our values. Yeah, because there's lots of, what I, what, what I note about the life science industry in Canada is there's a tremendous amount of talent north of the border. You know, it's it, it's a very rich labor pool, as you know, right? Mm -hmm. And especially in Montreal, there's just there's just seems to be a great labor pool of talent. And one of the tricks, of course, is sorting through all those resumes. So when you get down to your final candidates, what do you and Allison, the executive team, do to make sure you've got that fit? Are there some specific tactics? Yes. So, of course, there's the interview process, there's the phone screening, you know, the stuff that everybody does, the phone screening, the interviews with the different people. But there's always at least one member of the leadership team that meets the candidate. And some people might find that excessive, but we have a small-ish company, yeah, right? 115 plus, right? Yeah. people. The wrong hire can make a big bad bump. Sure. <laughs> so it's very important that, um, you know, they're seen by everybody. And I won't lie, it hasn't happened a lot because most people know what we're looking for and they embody the culture. So they know, right? And they go, oh my God, that person's a definite fit. So it has happened, not a lot, but where they've gotten to the end of the process. And, you know, sometimes candidates let their guard down when they sure. get to the end of a process and they think it's in the bag. And we've come in and we've said, no go. Yeah. And in that last round of interviews, I would imagine that what you're asking your senior members of the team to do is focus less on behavioral interviewing and skills and more on really trying to get to know who this person yes. is, right? So yes. what are some of the ways that you do that or like do you find taking them away from their comfort so getting them out of the interview room like and taking them for a meal or I have a client who likes to get them out on the golf course which yeah. is an interesting approach but how um, do you get to know the real person because the recruiters do such a great job of coaching and people 
are, I find, so much more prepared than they were 10 years ago. Yes. How do you get to know your folks in the interview process, especially at the end? I think it's by asking the right questions and asking the questions that are going to, you know, elicit the right uh, type of answers that will get us what we need to make a decision. Some of it's just gut. I won't lie. Like I, sure. I, I've been in HR a long time and sometimes I'll go to someone and say, I can't tell you exactly why <laughs> there's this and there's this, but I really feel like this won't work. And that's hard because if someone else thinks that this is a great candidate and they can't see it, but I'll tell you something, it's pretty yeah. rare that I get it completely wrong. Sure. It reminds me of that Simon Sinek TED talk about your limbic brain. You know, it, it senses those core values. It senses the why within people. And I guess that's what you're talking about, right? Where you feel it, you really can't put it into words, but it's like definite. You can't definite. always, right? Yeah. But Again, our employees are big ambassadors, so they're pretty good at hiring the right people. And I would, I'd say that like ninety-eight percent of the time, we've gotten it right. Well, good for you. That's a <laughs> we've been lucky, average, but yeah. we've been picky. Yeah, you've. I remember. I think it was you or Allison. One time, I remember writing this down in my notes: hire slow and fire fast. That's me. That's you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 I didn't invent that slogan. No, you borrowed but it. But right? I borrowed it. But it's, it's. It's true because if you make a mistake, then you need to fix it quickly before it starts impacting your culture. And one person can affect your culture. Right, right. Yeah, it is a tremendously sensitive thing, isn't it? And it I've is. seen it on both sides of the equation where we've had clients who've been maybe struggling, not having the culture that they want. They uncover an opportunity with, say, a leader or a couple of leaders. And when you see the behavior change happen, it can be astounding how quickly yes. that can impact in a positive way, people's level of engagement and discretionary effort, as you and Allison like to call it. So, okay, so the first ingredient, and I 100% agree, especially for companies who are experiencing the kind of growth you guys are, where, you know, you're chasing that headcount number and you want to add to the family, add carefully, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't get those opportunities all the time. But when they come, you know, don't miss the opportunity to bring in an all-star player with the right culture. Right. Yeah, everybody gets the math. So that's one really important thing. If you had to pick two other things that have really helped you guys be at you know, you're what I would call a positive outlier. And that's what people want to know. How do, even though we may have a good culture or a very good culture, how do we come, become as good as what Rob and Dr. Jameson keep bragging about Oats go, what makes them so special? So if you don't mind, I'm yeah. asking you to share a trade secret. But, so, but what would be the other ingredient that's allowed you and your leadership team over that five years you've been there to sustain and build and sustain such a great culture? So I think the onboarding process for people is extremely important. And we have spent a lot of time uh, refining it. So again, before I got there, they had a great onboarding process, but we had put together this culture team. I think I may have told you about yeah, that yeah, in the I past. That, yeah. And we came up with all these things that we could do to make sure that we kept feeding our culture and nurturing it. And one of the things that we looked at was the onboarding process. And the one we had was very good, but we just tweaked it, fine-tuned it, and added some things to it that made it so that people come in on their first day. And these things are so basic, but most companies don't do them. Things like introducing them to everyone. Yeah. Um, like walking around in the morning and saying, hey, this is Joni. She's our new HR person. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, having a welcome lunch. 
every new employee, even those on contract, even though those that are there maybe for only a few months, get a welcome lunch. And that's something that I've never seen before, in all honesty, where every individual person gets one. And during the welcome lunch, it's supposed to be a well-kept secret, but it's starting to get out. We have a little bit of fun, and I won't tell you what that fun is because that would defeat the purpose for people who join the organization. You don't want to let the secret out of the bag. No, but um, the employee has to get up and introduce themselves, and then... We open it to all the employees to ask questions. Wow. And they're different questions. Yeah. They're not your straightforward, like, where were you born and where were you working? And, you know, why did you leave your company? They're all around personal things. Oh, and yeah. it's a lot of fun. And people really get into it. I remember mine. I'd never been through anything like that before. What was the, what was the craziest question you got asked? Do you remember? I think they were tame with me because I was human resources. <laughs> and at that point, they didn't think they could, weren't sure if they could trust me enough to ask me, What would you be know, an example edgy. of a question you've seen asked now of a, a new employee on day one that they had a lot of fun with? Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, I heard a rumor from Okay, tell me what the rumor she is. She got asked, uh, your favorite your favorite piece of music oh okay yeah we've we've asked your favorite piece of music we've asked things like tell us uh the most embarrassing moment of your life (laughs) you'd be surprised at the stories that come out but it's fun because then people ask follow-up questions and you really feel like you got to know the person and the person feels like wow yeah yes welcome them to the family kind of thing yes and uh i can tell you that people often come to us and say that's the best orientation i've ever had all right so and it's not complicated no but 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 you know what when you really think about the sequence of events right nobody comes to to work on day one wanting to be mediocre i mean that right that's kind of a funny thing to say but i just went through this with a couple of my sons so my youngest signed on to a an organization about a year ago I talked to him after the first day and he said, yeah, I'm so excited. I go, good, because if you're not excited on day one, good luck to you on day 101. Right, right, right. You know, so when you capture that energy and you guys do that orientation, it just gives that snowball so much momentum going down the hill, right? So I I love that story. Okay, so the first two little trade secrets are your hiring process is very rigorous, especially around those values and, you know, what makes people tick. And then the onboarding is, again, a theme there is we really want to know who you are and we want to take advantage of what you bring to the family. All right, so what else is important? In fact, I really want to understand, do you think, as you think about now measuring your culture Mm -hmm. and then holding people accountable, how important is it that you share that load with your partners on the executive team? Oh, my goodness. Very important. Because that's controversial. You have some of your colleagues in the human resource function really want to make sure this is their domain, that they're empowered to make it happen. And I don't disagree that that's true. But in our travels, Dr. Jamison, I have noted that the best cultures over the long term, the engine behind their strength of their culture is shared between human resources and the leadership team on the commercial side, let's say, right. or the general manager present. Have you seen that in, in the business? Yeah. And if so, you know, how, do you, uh, how do you operationalize that? So I think actually you're touching on something really important. It's shared responsibility. It's not HR pushing this all by themselves you know, and then no support. This is shared by the leadership team. We work in a company where our, because we're small too, you know, there's easy access to leadership team, but it's not, we're not just saying that, you know, the leadership team is very, very present. So they're very involved in the culture. So like you said, when we get our results, we 
sit around a table, as you know, <laughs> and everybody gets the results and we start talking about some of the things that we think we should be working on. Um, and, and what I don't how, hear, Joni, I don't hear them saying, Joni, you need to fix A, right. B, and C, or is, is, this, is this the opportunity that you should pursue? I actually hear the opposite, which is they quickly internalize and they, in fact, they're hard on themselves. As you right. know, your group tends to be a little borderline perfectionist, if I could call it that. <laughs> but they, they're very intent on looking below the surface to, to ask Dr. Jamison and I, okay, what's here in the data that might create an opportunity for the future? That's That's been my experience. Right. And I like that they're they're passionate about the subject. And if they err on one side or the other, they err on the side of ownership and action, right. which sometimes we don't see. We see sort of the volley it over the fence to HR and let them fix it. Right. But, but we I, don't see that with you guys. No, and I think that's one of the beauties of working at Otsuka. It's not like that. Nobody, everybody feels included. And everybody knows that if they have an issue or if they're in a meeting and they're presenting to someone in Japan or to someone in the U.S. or whatever it might be, they're never going to be left hung out to dry. We're there to support each other. And I can honestly tell you, this is the first time in my career where I felt so supportive to carry out the initiatives that I want to try and implement. Right. They've got your back because they yes. kind of co-own it with you, which is really they cool. They do. Yeah. And I think that's an important message to people that are trying to, you know, have an impact on their culture. It's not up to the HR person alone. If you're alone, it's an uphill battle. I mean, it's like a marriage, right? There's two people in it. You need to work together to make it work. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing in a company. You cannot start pushing people off to the side saying, hey, HR, you over there, you do this and not be involved. Everybody on the leadership team needs to walk the talk. And I know that's not the question, but one of the things that's also unique is that, you know, we have a cafe, not a cafeteria, but we have a kitchen where we have lunch. Our leaders sit and have lunch with everybody. Yeah, I've seen that every time they I've They laugh, been the they tell jokes, they poke fun. They made me a coffee one day. Yeah. In fact, it was your GM, which was really cool. She made me a cup of tea. Yes, like there's no, it's not like us and them yeah. mentality. We're one unit. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, the other thing that we get asked specifically almost always by one of your colleagues who's leading an HR, and they see a culture that's not quite what they think it can be, is can they rely on their internal annual engagement or every other engagement survey to get enough robust data to create change? Why did you guys choose to look a little deeper because you did a couple things that we don't see everywhere you get that i think it's every year every other year you the get the engagement survey is like the full survey is every two years and right. in between we do a pulse survey okay pulse engagement survey right and and but but you haven't relied on, on that as the only data point right you're combining mm -hmm. some other things like i know you talk about exit interviews i know you talk about your onboarding experience you got us to help you with uh sort of below the surface, yes. Dr. Jamison and Ann Veronix and ourselves to look at culture and values. Um, and he actually did some focus groups too. I remember the first yes. time you wanted to know what accountability meant, for instance, and really dig in on some of those things. And that was after getting amazing results. Yeah. So yeah. We, we wanted to make sure we kept our eye on the ball, right? We don't yeah. want it to drop. You know, you guys remind us of what a great doctor is supposed to look like, not assume based on some preliminary data that the diagnosis is specific because that's the most important part. We like the way you guys really slow it down and you're inquisitive and you want to make sure you understand what the data seems to be suggesting. So, you know, these multiple data sources seem to be important. Is that is that something you've ever been asked by a colleague in HR? Like, do other people who ever pick up the phone call you and say, look, 
How do we make optimize this culture? And is it enough to rely on things like just an annual or every other year engagement survey? What would your what would your answer be? I guess I would say that uh, the engagement survey is a great tool, but it doesn't measure your values. It tells you if your people are happy. It tells you if your people are engaged to come to work. Some of the key questions that people look at in terms of uh, the numbers are, you know, would I refer a friend? Right. That's a big, big one that um, plays into the engagement sure. score because if most of your employees are willing to refer a friend, it's because they really like where they work. Yeah, it's called a net promoter score now is what I hear, yeah. And, you know, but it tests all kinds of things, right? Do I like my leader? Yeah. Um, is my manager a good manager? Yeah. Are they taking care of my development? There's all kinds of things. But the culture survey actually measures your values, right? So that's... And whether you're living them or not. And whether you're living or it's not. it's to put them on a website or on right. posters, right? Or even in... in steps you've already described, the interviewing, the onboarding. And it's another thing then to just assume and hope. And what we liked about you guys early on is you wanted to get ahead of the curve. You'd done all that work that you described that Allison had done with the global group, carefully making sure with her Canadian leaders that you guys set a particular set of core values for Canada that were Canadianized. But you didn't just stop there. You didn't just put them on the website and go, well, let's, let's see. You actually cared enough to go measure it. Right. You know, and I actually, we don't see that all the time, that same dedication to saying, well, it's not the same as engagement. It needs to be the underpinning our true north, as you describe it. And is it there or is it not? And it's like a 360. Nobody's ever perfect. Even though your scores were great. I remember our first deck, we all saw some opportunity. And your second measurement a couple of years later was even better. And it's continued to progress. So that's been, that's been impressive to watch. But I think that focus and that commitment to like anything else in life, you don't, you can't manage what you don't measure. We could easily say, okay, we got a great score next. Yeah. But then how do you know if you're falling off the radar or not? You know, maybe you don't need to do it as often, maybe, but you still have to keep your finger on the pulse. You still have to make sure that things are going well. And the most impressive part I got to say, because I remember your data got shared with your colleagues at the National <laughs> Pharma Congress. And then I had to stop on that one slide because I got a few questions. But it showed your financial performance over five years. Yes. And it was really good the first three, four years. It was remarkably good. I want to, I'm off the top of my head thinking it was like 20 or 30% growth per year, first five years. Very impressive for a startup. And then all of a sudden it went through the roof. Yes. And it kind of coincided with this extra effort on culture, values, engagement, where there was a real emphasis there. And people will say, okay, is that a coincidence? You went from having what we would have measured as one of the best cultures we've ever seen to having the best culture we ever saw in, in the category. So you went from, let's say, a A- minus to an A+. Plus. Well, it wasn't a small impact, and it's interesting. Do you, do you in, your, in your gut, think there was a correlation with what you did in that two-year time frame that really sort of put the accelerator down in terms of financial performance and market performance? I think it's a combination of many different things, but I think that if you get it right from an employee perspective, from a culture perspective, however you want to look at it, right? Because I believe, personally, happy employees are engaged, right? Yeah. Engaged employees go in front of the customer. They seem happy and engaged in front of the customer. The customer is happy. Yeah. If the customer is happy, then your results should follow. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and to your point, you had mentioned that, you know, our financial results – we had planned to grow 10 times in 10 years. 
But in actual fact, we grew 12 times in five years wow. and we reached profitability two years early. You can't do that without your employees. No, and I seem to recall too that that was extraordinarily impressive because in your cohort, right? That might not sound so impressive to people just hearing it out of the air, out of the blue. But I remember hearing that compared to the rest of your Otsuka subsidiary cohorts, Canada actually rose to number one. Like you're a Positive outlier also internally. Is that not true? We're doing really well and we're highly regarded. And even this culture piece, like Allison's been asked to go present it to the LT in the US, wow. you know, so that she can explain how it's impacted um, our performance. And it's very, very well received. Um, we're certainly looked upon favorably. Yeah. Uh, things but are going I, I like well. like the way you just described it. When you really boil it down to the common sense elements, right? It's how your people show up in front of the customer. And if they come in, I was in sales, as you know, in that category. And if I came in full of enthusiasm, well, that is infectious. If I come in kind of just mailing it in, well, okay, it has right. less of an impact. Well, where does that infection come from? If I'm treated extremely well by my boss, who's extremely right. well treated by her boss, et cetera, et cetera, the energy has to come from the leadership team. You guys are the ground zero for what happens in front of the customer. And that's one of the things I also want to explore. What have you guys done to hold your people leaders accountable to leading the culture the way you've decided you want it led. Because that is a, an area that Dr. Jameson and I see as perhaps a little bit of a weak spot with, with folks that we meet. Yeah, they're not quite as rigorous on the accountability part. So what do you do during the course of a normal year to make sure that your people leaders lead the way that you describe the core values that you have established? Well, I guess one of the first things I say is culture and people are always part of our corporate goals. So you know how I said before, the values don't change. Our goals have not changed either right. in, in terms five of those years. Themes, you've got you know, exactly some real themes and in terms a of the of themes. Obviously, the actions that we do every sure. year are different, but our goals are generally speaking the same every year. So every year there's a goal around people and culture. Every manager who I think it's Six has six direct reports or whatever it is, yeah. that magic number, yeah. um, gets a report and they have to share it with their employees. They have to look at it together. Um, and they're held to, accountable, right? Like they're it's held like accountable it's to throw say, over the fence and right. hope for the best. Now, listen, we have been in a fortunate situation where our, our results have been really good. But as you said, there's always area for improvement. We hear it. And we act on it. Can we act on every single thing? You can't. It's probably not humanly possible. But we communicate what we are going to do and what we're not going to do. Well, and you also could care enough to continue asking. You don't. Right. You haven't gotten complacent, which would be easy to get complacent with the results that you know we've seen and other folks have seen with you, right? right? It's extremely good, but that, I don't think you guys want to ever fall off to just no. just okay. And the other thing is. You know, I was saying before how you have to do something with the results. If you don't do something with the results or don't show people that something is happening, the next time you do your engagement survey, nobody's going to answer it. Right. They're not going right? to answer it honestly. And they're not going to answer it honestly. Yeah. They're So one of the two, they won't answer it or they're not going to answer <laughs> it honestly. So, yeah. you know, you, you've really got to put your money where your mouth is. If you're going to do it, then follow through. If you're not going to follow through, don't do it. Yeah, and one of the things that we see with your organization and a few other what I would call progressive positive cultures is they've started now to leverage their very positively differentiated internal culture, and it's now become a competitive advantage in the marketplace. It's like an external brand. It's part of the customer experience. Right. So is that happening at Otsuka Canada? And if so, what are some examples of that? 
I think it is happening at Atsuka. I think we we really do feel that our culture does set us apart. Um, and we have gotten feedback from customers who have said that they can see the collaborative nature of the team. They can see us working together I don't want to say harmoniously, but for lack of a better word, um, and actually having fun while we're doing it. Um, So they've given us the feedback that they feel it. Yeah. It's the same thing we were talking about when I come into your office or Dr. Jameson's at your office or people we know have come to visit with you for job interviews or whatever. Everybody says the same thing. It's palpable. You can you can describe it. It's there. And so your customers are noticing it too, which is powerful. And I think we do go over and above for the customer, you know, what we do is really, really, really important. And the customer does come first. And I've seen people jump through hoops to get things done so that a patient can, you know, Yeah, because you're not in the catch-up business. You're in the life-saving mental health and physical health business. And, you know, it's extremely important at the end of the day. They'll put in that extra effort to make sure that everything's good, you know? So the last piece I want to explore a little bit too with you is, again, maybe talk a little bit about uh, sort of, we'll call it employee wellness. Yes. And that's emerging now in the literature. There's a lot that you're seeing in Harvard Business Reviews and other publications that we get visibility to. There seems to be a trend there to pay attention. You know, I just read an article the other day that up to 25% of employees in Canada will experience a significant mental health issue. That's a pretty big number. It is a very big number. And, and you know, you now have got over 100 employees, and I'm sure you got enough with your five years to say, that those numbers are probably relatively accurate as you visit with your colleagues in the industry as well. So what do you envision Otsuka doing in Canada to support as best you can how much the employees can not only come to work and feel comfortable with your culture, but pay attention to their wellness, their ability to come and give their best? So then that's kind of another piece, right? Somebody once described culture as the swimming pool and employee wellness being the state of the swimmer, you know? Is she or he feeling like today's a good day to jump in the pool and do they feel like giving it a a good go? Um, So what are you thinking about as an HR leader when it comes to employee wellness? What's on your mind and what do you see sort of in the future here? So I think it's, you're right, it's a a topic that's really top of mind right now Um, and very, very important. And I think employee wellness isn't just about work, it's about home and work. And it's the two of them combined. And sometimes you're doing well at work and maybe things at home aren't good or vice versa, right? So it's hard to know. But we've implemented a number of initiatives um, to make sure or at least to give people the opportunity um, to work on their wellness, if you want to call it that. What would be some examples? And what are some of the things that have really worked? Because I know you've tried a few things and it's always a bit of experimentation, but what seems to have resonated the best? So, well, we we have a psychologist who comes in once every two months uh, and he um, teaches mindfulness. We've had him speak at our all company meetings. People really, really, really like it. Um, We'll all sit in a room together over lunch and we'll you know, order lunch for people so that that's not an issue, right? We get that out of the way. And he teaches us mindfulness techniques. And it's really interesting because everybody, a lot of people poo-poo that, right? Oh, mindfulness, you know. I know a lot of people who think it's, you know, it's just fluffy stuff, right? (laughs) Um, But 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 listen, in the environment that the workers are facing today compared to when maybe I started in the industry 30 years ago, I can't get over the amount of pressure and how much has increased. Like now that my son has graduated, moved yeah. on, his cohort, when I visit with those guys and I talk to them about what their life looks like, 
I cannot get over how much, you know, demand and attention and pressure, just in terms of volume of information, mm-hmm. the activity level, it's mind blowing. So that ability to stay in the moment is not just a nice thing to have. Okay. It's you know, become almost a, you got to have it. You got to have that ability to shift very quickly. It's really hard to do though, right? You've got your cell phone, you've got, you know, your screen blinking at you because or multiple screens blinking right, at you. Right, because someone's trying to reach you on link or whatever, you know, system you have. You've got your email, you've got your landline phone. I mean, it, it's a lot, right? Yeah. But, um, but 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 the mindfulness piece has been accepted well by your by yes, employees. Yes, and more and more years. people are getting on board. Sure. And um, I think it's it's really 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 important. Um, another thing that we did recently is we implemented a telemedicine app, and that app actually uh, allows you for minor illnesses, obviously, sure. to get online with a doctor from your phone sitting at your desk or sitting at home at 7.30 at night. Wow. So what that does too is it takes away the stress from the employee of saying, oh my God, I've got to go to the doctor because maybe I have strep throat and I've got to drive there and that's going to take me an hour and then I'm going to sit in his waiting room for an hour and then it's maybe going to take me an hour to get home or back to work or wherever it is you're going because it could be a weekend, it could be a weeknight. And they also have uh, a wellness piece to that app. And that's something that we're looking to to implement also. In the, in the first stage of that program, and I seem to recall it's called Dialogue. Is that yes. the, Okay, yeah. I've, I've actually just, as you know, you introduced me to them and I've got some clients who are very interested in their offering for the same reason you just described, that it's very innovative and gives you know employees much superior access than possibly what's in the marketplace without them. But what kind of response are you getting from your 100 or so employees to that offering? Oh, you... my goodness. They love it. Okay. So especially people who have kids, like younger kids, I right. mean, um, have come to me and said, that is the best thing. Game <laughs> you know, changing, yeah. That is a game changer. And yeah. th- those were the exact words I used when I introduced it. Because think about this. You've got a sore throat. Um, they can do... They can literally, you know, they'll have you take a picture of your throat and then yeah. send it in and They're whatever. Emerging technology. It's emerging yeah. technology. It's innovative. The people that I've come across there are amazing. Um, it, it's, it really is a game changer. And then to get back to your original question, which was, you know, what are some of the things you've done? Of course, trying to give people as much flexibility as possible yeah. in how they manage their schedule and where they work from. And, you know, if... You know, for example, we just went through a renovation at home, you know, and there were days where I just needed to be at home because you've got to be there to make sure that everything's okay if they have questions. So I can work from home that day. It's not, you know, it's not a big deal as long as I let everybody know where I'm going to be. And you you know know, from your own uh, work in the industry, but we see it broadly, the number one need that's emerging with millennials is that control in their schedule, that flexibility. It's a huge deal. And it's really smart of you guys to have given them some tools to to kind of fully stay in control of their situation, right? right? People, I think a lot of companies too haven't caught on to that, which is surprising to me. But I think there's still a lot of companies that see it negatively because an employee has to take their child to the doctor or attend a performance at school. But what's more important than your family? Yeah. So obviously the work needs to get done. I'm not saying, you know, go spend all day at school and don't work. But the way you get that work done or, you know, 
job permitting, of course, depending what your job is. Uh, some jobs are more flexible than others, right? But yeah. just to give people the flexibility and for people to know that they can take care of their family uh, while they're working is very, very important. So I'm going to throw this question out of the blue at you, and I know <laughs> you'd rather I didn't, but I have this on my mind. I just met a young HR leader, and she's a real, I think she's got a real bright future ahead of her. And I'm going to recommend that she gives you a call, and I want you to at least be prepared for her question. She is going to ask you, what should she do if she's working with a somewhat more conservative leadership team? And she knows that the culture and the engagement is probably about half of what it could be. They think it's darn near perfect. What would your advice be to her? How does she get started to get them to come along the journey? I think she might need to figure out what makes them tick. So in other words, are they data people? Mm. If they're data people, try to get, get the engagement survey or the culture survey or whatever it is. Do a monkey sur a survey monkey if sure. you have to, right? Get it started, uh, yeah. And give them the data so they can see it in black and white. If, you know, she can find one person even on that team. Sure, somebody to champion. Exactly. Get some momentum. That she can sort of get her foot in the door and that person buys into it. And then maybe that person can help her. Or, you know, you can also, I mean, I don't know that this is the way I would necessarily go about it, but I think it is a good thing to do in a company. We put in an employee council and we put in a sales council. And these are made up of employees who are highly, highly engaged. And we task them with certain things. So if we got results from the engagement survey or from the culture survey that said something particular, it doesn't all have to be the leadership team either that comes up with the solutions. You can hand it over to an employee council or a sales council and say, okay, how do you guys think we can fix this? Right. So the way we do it is that we get together several times a year, there's someone championing it, and then we come up with ideas and then those ideas get presented to the leadership team. They We pick the ones that we think we should work on. Sure. And then we'll go back to the employee council. Some are things that they can make happen. And then some are the things that I might have to make happen or somebody else might have to make happen. But it's not but, all on your shoulders. It's right. like she's worried about this all becoming only her battle. I like right. your ideas of... You know, figure out who you're dealing with in the leadership team, what makes them tick. What kind of evidence would they respond to? And then how do you get some traction, right? And I got to say, in her case, it's I think the advice you just gave there about finding one or two people is I know there are a couple people that are a little bit more progressive, that are actually potentially allies with her in this journey. And if she gives them a voice, it could get some positive momentum. So thanks for that. I'm just going to save me a phone call. So. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you spending some time with us, Joni. That was really, really instructive. I learned a lot just from our exchange here today, as I always do. But thanks a lot for carving out some time for us, and well, uh, we'll hope to talk to you soon. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Okay, great.